Welcome back once again to the Religious Studies Project. I'm David Robertson. And I think I'm Christopher Cotter. You certainly have been in the past. And actually, you're bringing us the interview this week, Chris, aren't you? With um, with Brent Plate. Yeah, on um, Religion and Film. Religion and Film. Recorded in Erfurt. At the IAHR Congress 2015. So, let's hear it, Chris. When thinking about religion and film, it might be quite tempting to take a simplistic and narrow view, reducing the topic of the study to biblical epics such as the robe or the Ten Commandments or the more recent Noah or Exodus gods and kings. Or perhaps we might think of religious censorship of controversial films or maybe be tempted to view the ubiquity of modern movie watching as a religious practice. However, when we take an even more even a moment to think more critically about what we might mean by these three key terms, religion and film, things become much more complicated. To introduce us to this fascinating and important area of research, we're joined today in Erfurt by S. Brent Plate, um, who's visiting Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Hamilton College, New York. Professor Plate is the managing editor and co-founder of the journal Material Religion, and has written or edited many books concerning religion and materiality, and obviously on religion and film, including Religion and Film, Cinema and the Recreation of the World, The Religion and Film Reader, Reviewing the Passion, Mel Gibson's Film and Its Critics, and Representing Religion in World Cinema, Filmmaking, Mythmaking, and Culture. And his most recent work is A History of Religion in Five and a Half Objects, Bringing the Spiritual to Its Senses, published by Beacon Press in 2014. So first of all, uh, Brent, if I may, I should have clarified that before the interview. Welcome to the Religious Studies Project. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Nice to see you here in Germany. Yes, it's incredibly um, sort of humid. Yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> and um, I've just been presenting on a, on a panel. So if I'm not talking as much um, in this interview, that, that might be why. Um, so first of all, um, you've got a there's a new edition of your your book that you're working on. One of your books that you're working on, which is quite timely, I guess. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm working on a, a second edition of the uh, the little book Religion and Film uh, that I did originally in 2009 with Wallflower Press. They do a series called Shortcuts, and they've it's meant to be a, a very short book, of course. Um, and so I've now you know decided to let's do a revise and expanded version of that. So I'm working on adding a good, uh, I think, three chapters to that book uh, right now, almost almost double the size of that. Um, so kind of a fun project. Yeah. And it's an excellent introduction, by the way, to anyone uh, who's listening and wanting to delve a bit further than this podcast. Um, but religion and film, it's a very, very broad topic. Um, how did you get interested in it? Just watching a lot of films. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sure, I did. As a you know, as a kid, I loved uh, loved going to the movies, and uh, you know, being uh, being a white male, there were you know movies that were oriented towards me and my kind. So there was plenty of things to see um, of the you know big blockbusting Hollywood variety as I was growing up. Um, as I got to college, you know, got to see a little more art house films, a little more experimental things, and really got interested in the the formal nature of filmmaking and, and, and how films are constructed and begin to really think seriously about editing and cinematography. And, and, um, it was kind of, uh, intuitive in certain ways. I never did film studies as a course in college, but I watched a lot of films and, uh, became interested in how they tell narratives in different ways than, uh, literature. Um, so somewhere later along the line, I sort of realized, Hey, some people are writing on this. So I guess maybe I can too. Wonderful. Um, 
at the beginning of um, the book, um, you, you outline the history of the field. So perhaps it'd be helpful for our listeners if you just take it's very quickly, you know, you're not the first person to have a look at religion and film. So um, wh- where do you place yourself in that history then? Well, the way I've, I've, I've talked about it, and this is just my own kind of construction, the, the, the first real works were in the 1960s and 70s. There were some pieces that came out, and, and I'd say they're really of the religion in film variety. Mm-hmm. So it's looking for the ways religious symbols and characters show up, the way, you know, someone might have a, a crucifix on the wall, and so the, 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 the religious studies critic would focus on that and talk about that. Uh, so it was the way religion appeared, and it was also very much of the kind of European art house variety. So Robert Bresson uh, was big in this, and Ingmar Bergman, and uh, and folks like that. Um, and there was sort of a more popular front came in, I think, in the 1990s, and it became much more of about uh, Hollywood blockbusters and how do we look at these as sort of the how do, what are the you know the the masses, what are they watching, and um, so looking at the kind of mythological dimensions of films and how they create our stories for us, I think, was a significant thing uh, through the 90s and into the into the new millennium as well. Um, and I think lately, since uh, probably the last really 10 years, uh, John Lydon's book, Film as Religion, came out in, uh, I think it was 2003. And that's been a, been a great sell and really sort of broke new ground for the, for the field to think not, to, not looking for the, you know, what often ended up being the, the Jesus characters in film. It was, you know, oh, he died, he sacrificed, so he must be a Christ figure, you know, somehow. And it was always seeing Jesus in about every other film, which obviously grows old fairly quickly um, as ways to do it. But um, but thinking about, uh, so, so John Lydon began to help us think about film as religion, as the ways it uh, creates categories that are, that are possibly analogous to religion. So I sort of followed up uh, with some of that with my... Um, with my 2009 book. The other thing I, I became interested in and is, is getting away from the kind of, there was kind of this emphasis on kind of popular Hollywood industrial big blockbuster films. The idea is that, oh, well, this is what the masses of people do. We should follow them. We should look at what they're doing. Um, I've kind of resisted that for a number of reasons. Um, one, I think it, there's, I just don't think it's any secret that Hollywood is 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 racist and heterosexist and mm. and um, and uh, biased in all kinds of ways. So I think it's important to see films that are showcasing people who are uh, not uh, like me, white and male and uh, privileged. And um, that you know, it's just it's a, Hollywood is whitewashed, and I think we need to get away from watching those films. So I, mm. in my classes, I try to intersperse you know big film like maybe Star Wars, but then watch something from, say, Morocco or India or Japan or um, uh, Malay. There's a Malayan film that I use sometimes. And uh, thinking about how we see people, and film film offers a real good chance to see people in different settings than our own. Um, sometimes that can be outer space, and it's fun to see the science fiction, or we see Tom Cruise driving in a BMW very fast through the streets of some capital city somewhere. Um, but we can also see people who are just in circumstances very different than us. Even, even if they're fictional films, they allow us to sort of transport ourselves into those places. So I've continued to try to emphasize um, the, the kind of non-Hollywood, non-big-budget mm. um, films as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell a lot about people from the the stories that they tell themselves and the stories that they consume. 
Um, it's already come up in in your introduction there. Leiden's religion as film. We're talking about religion and film, but there are, there are so many different permutations here. So, and and you said that you um, try to avoid big blockbusters and stuff. I immediately thought, you know, big biblical epics. Um, but there's a lot more to it than that. You know, the, the and can do a lot of things. Um, maybe we could play with that for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think the and I I, I stay with the and just because it's there's more things to do with it, you know, rather than in or as or something like that. I, I like the religion and it, it allows these kind of two, it's a, it's a comparative model, you know, here they're, they're analogous to each other. How, what do we get when we analyze these structures of religious traditions? And what do we get when we analyze the structures of a, of a film? And uh, I'm kind of interested in finding some of those similarities. And so for me, the, the and stands for a, a, a method of analogy, uh, of analogy um, that you can, this is like that in these kinds of ways. But also, you know, no one's, I mean, they're different enough that you don't have to sort of suggest that, you know, they're not the same things, religion and film. So, beginning to to the the, the hypothesis that I've that I've worked on for for a number of years is that if we learn about the structures of filmmaking, we might learn something about the constructions of religious worlds and uh, the people who live within them, and and vice versa. We can actually. Um, cinematographers, I, I think, have done this for, uh, for for many, many years, even unconsciously, have created mythical stories through camera angles. You know, mm. they don't. I think not always conscious of what they're doing. When you point the camera up and look at the sky, you're saying something, and it has a sort of metaphysical tint even mm. uh, to it at times. So I'm, I'm interested in those kind of s- structures of basic space. And time and the objects that exist within these within these worlds. Um, so it's a it's a it's a way of thinking about um, religious worlds. So that and that's sort of the language I use in the book is is borrowing from Peter Berger's uh, uh, world constructions and ideas of that uh, that he brought out in the Sacred Canopy some time ago. I'm not a necessarily follow him all the way through, but yeah. I think that initial kind of idea that religions are about worlds, you know, gets us away from the the, the beliefs and the, you know, thinking about just, you know, let's read the sacred texts and all that uh, mm. to get it. But what is this, what is this world that is, that we enter into? And so films are like that. We, we enter into a world, uh, when we enter into the cinema or even if we queue up the DVD at home, we, we, we allow ourselves to enter into another world and we like it. We, we, you know, sometimes it's an escape, sometimes it's a challenge, but we, we, we want to be transported. And allows us to do that, and I, you know, I think it doesn't always do that. Obviously, they fail maybe as much as they, you know, actually do transport us. And and the same for religion. You know, people, I think these ideal forms, these ritual structures, have evolved through, you know, uh, the millennia. And uh, sometimes they work for people, and sometimes they don't. And, mm. um, I think there's that. There's always that issue of issue of fail, failure that's uh, important with it all. Mm. Um, I haven't really, I haven't thought this through. This is just me jumping in, so this might completely fail. Um, but you know, just there, you were you know, talking about the sort of, I guess, the positive aspects. There, you have you know, films as transformative, films as um, sort of visions of utopia, etc. And, and that's 
very much positive aspects that people might associate with with religion, but people would also perhaps have negative aspect. Um, would you see the same sort of reflection and analogy? It, I mean, I'm struggling to think off the top of my head of sort of negative effects of film watching uh, or films as an experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think so. It, it And it goes both ways. I mean, some of the films that I show, um, I think the one that comes to mind uh, quickly is uh, Deepa Mehta's film Water, which is just a, a beautiful but devastating film about caste system and the laws of Manu and um, in India where a, a young girl is widowed. She's married in age nine, I think it is, mm. and, and widowed and she's forced to go live in an ashram with, with widows for the rest of her life. It's just a devastating story, but, but just exquisitely done. I mean, she's a fantastic filmmaker. So the story is brought out. And so just these very negative dimensions of these you know, mm. longstanding religious traditions um, so I'm interested in, uh, certainly in the, the affect of it, you know, how, these, mm. how do these films affect us? And I show these films, you know, again to my students and they're just, you know, they cry through it or they're just angry or frustrated. Mm. And, I, and I, you know, I want to get at some of those aspects as well, that there are these negative things. Um, and, and, and a lot of people have had um, certainly many negative experiences with them. Yeah, with, with film. So we, again, I, I constantly come back to my classrooms. We, I show a bunch of films, and some of the students like film A, and some of the students like film B, and they hate film A, you know? And, yeah. and so being able to talk about why those differences exist. And so, you know, some people just have negative experiences with it. But then, well, let's talk about why, you know? Experience. Yeah, um, which is why I've been reticent. Um, we could have focused this interview perhaps on a film, um, but then our listeners may not have seen it. They may hate it. They may love it. Um, I know that my favorite films are ones that yeah they make me sort of uncomfortable and have an experience. Um, I don't really like uplifting films, but that's that's just me. <laughs> yeah. um, so going back, that you were talking about camera angles and the, the sort of unconscious way that filmmakers might uh, construct uh, worlds. Um, but you, you refer to something I'm going to mispronounce, is it mise-en-scene? Yeah. Um, so that's that's quite an important aspect of, of your work and of filmmaking. And so maybe if you could tell us a bit about that and how it relates to religion. Right. So, so mise-en-scene is the... Um you know, the placement, it's, it's actually an old theater term, and it was borrowed by the film theorist to sort of, you know, similar kinds of things. It's what, whatever goes on scene, you know, here are the, here are the placement of objects. It has to do with the costumes, the color, the, the, you know, where one actor is standing in relation to another actor, where, uh, say, a desk is placed, um, all those kinds of things. So it's, you know, it's the creation of this little world. Here's this little box, you know, rectangular box. Everything's got to fit into that box, you know. Know, there's there's something going on maybe to the right of the screen and something going on to the left and up and down, but all we're focusing on is that rectangle. And so the filmmakers have to figure out what they want in there. And everything's intentional. My, my students sometimes mm. think, oh, you know, it's just don't read too much into it. It's just a random thing. Well, no, these are constructed sets. Every single piece in there is made to be in there. It's not, nothing is accidental on a film, which is... Once you sort of get that point across, it, it changes the, the approach to it all. 
why that? You know, what what is that mm. there for? Why that color? What what does red mean here? What does yellow mean here? And there's and I, I I don't think there's any one answer to these things. Uh, there's a semiotics that people have applied and say, oh well, this means that and that means that. And here's a nice one to one correspondence and we've solved the puzzle. And I think that's a fairly problematic way to you know approach mm. a, approach anything really in life. But uh, nonetheless. Um, so, so mise en scène is sort of the creation. How do you use these objects? And as, a, as a, someone who really, my, my main focus is studying um, material culture, and I'm interested in how humans use objects in religious cultural settings. And uh, so I'm interested in how those objects show up on screen and mm. how they get, uh, how they get um, utilized for power uh, relations between people, uh, sometimes between sexes, sometimes between classes of people, the objects and, and how people are filmed show visions of power. I mean, the, the sort of common industrial way, if you want to show someone with power, you, you put the camera on the ground and you shoot it facing up so mm. the person looks, you know, very tall. Um, and, uh, you, you, you know, size matters, right? You gotta, gotta make sure. So we, there's all these sort of relatively short, um, male actors in Hollywood who have to play to the next of these uh, female actors who are tall and they have to figure out ways to make these power relations, mm-hmm. change them around in the kind of sexist ways that, that Hollywood does sometimes. Um, so the, so all these things, you know, make a difference in the construction of these worlds. So by, by thinking about those, we can get to um, hopefully then take that and, transfer to the altar, you know, mm-hmm. go and go into, uh, go into a temple. What do you see there? What, what, what's up front? What's most prominent? How are, how are the Buddhas placed on the altar? Uh, what other things do you notice and sense? What kind of colors are there? And so it's a, it's, it's kind of a, again, it's this back and forth, you know, mm. if we understand the mise-en-scene of a film clip, maybe we can understand the mise-en-scene of a temple or a mosque mm. or, or, or others as well. Because equally, whilst the interior or exterior of a religious, in quotations, building might not have been, you know, intentionally planned, there'll have been the messages, things will have been thought out, things are done in certain ways that repeat tropes throughout the centuries, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And um, sometimes they're not, of course. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then sometimes, that, sometimes they're, you know, sometimes then there are accidents, and, and those are fun things, too. Film, you know, there are great pieces in film where, where things happen by accident, and the filmmaker leaves it in. Yeah, and, um, and then the audience interpretation can, of course, then reify that into intentionality. And, that's right. You know, that's yeah. right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I know that some of my friends don't watch films, but I'm sure... Pretty much all of our listeners can, you know, have watched a film at some point. You know what one is if you saw it. Yeah. But I wouldn't know. How how would I go about, you know, how do I go about studying religion and film? Um, You know, this might be a point to bring in an example. I don't know, but... um, Apart from just going and sitting and watching a lot of stuff, I (laughs) I wouldn't quite know where to start. Well, what I... What I've tried to do with the with this little religion and film book was to sort of create a kind of modular approach. One, one of the other approaches that has been dominant, and I, I slightly see it loosening up, and I'm I'm doing my part to try to loosen it up, is treating a film as a liter say a literary text. You know, I'm going to write one chapter, and it's going to be about this one film. And my next chapter is going to be about another film, and the idea is that the film is a conclusive. It's a it's a full, whole, singular, unitary thing. 
and we treat it like a text. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, there's a place for that. I think that that's fine, but I'm interested in sort of taking three minutes of a film and looking closely at those three minutes and figuring out what's going on in those three minutes and just sort of stopping, rewinding, fast forwarding, slow motion at times and doing different things with it. And it's a great thing about having DVDs and new technology. We can, we can do mm-hmm. things in different ways. I do this with my classes. Sometimes I'll just do sort of scan ahead at about two times a rate and have them watch a scene and, and all kinds of things come to the surface. They just notice, you know, objects uh, on screen that they didn't notice in the slower motion. They, they notice the way people are moving and it's kind of, kind of curious. Um, so again, which, which comes back, I, I, these are, I, I'm trying to build analytical tools, uh, for my students. How do you analyze space? You know, how do you, you know, and the same thing as how might you go to a, to a, uh, you know, a, a ritualized space and analyze that? Well, here's, you know, what can we learn about studying these, these films that could, that could do that? Um, so yeah, so I think by the, one of the approaches that, that I've been working on is, is trying not to just treat watch this film to get this thing, but watch, but instead watch these three minutes of this film and maybe these five minutes of that film, and put those together and begin to think about those next to something else, you know, look closely mm-hmm. at those three minutes. It's a, it's a close reading. It's a, yeah. a, a explication of the text, you know, a very close <laughs> reading of a, of a, of a piece, but I think it, it comes again to some different kind of results mm-hmm. through it. And, you know, we know the amount of time and effort that you can put into the close reading of a text that has a single author. Well, when you're looking at a film, we know the Mm. thousands of hours that have gone into making that from probably thousands of people as well. Right. Um, So, yeah, the, the, the task for the analyst, even just looking at the film, regardless of thinking about its interpretation and audience reception and stuff, this is enormous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, when I was uh, when I was doing some quick quick cramming beforehand, my my colleague Ethan, whose uh, hashtag is everything is fiction, because uh, that's been his PhD, he, he did you know lean over and say, well, you know, how how does Brent get around the fact that you know this is all this is all fiction, um, regardless of even a documentary film mm-hmm. is the director's choice and it's a representation which is then interpreted in different ways, you know. Well, what's the What's the real? <laughs> this is a massive question. <laughs> it's uh, it's turtles all the way down, as far as I'm concerned. It's um, yeah. there's there's there there, yeah. There is nothing. Um, I mean, I I'm, I'm a skeptic enough to sort of say, yeah, there is. There's nothing real. Um, it's 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 all fictions. It's all constructions. Everything is certainly fiction. So, but we need to analyze those fictions. Those fictions okay. have power. Those fictions. Um, have actual physical repercussions in on people's bodies in the so-called real world. I, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if bodies are real, but um, violence does happen uh, mm-hmm. to bodies. I'm not sure how we construct bodies, but we do construct bodies. We, we racialize bodies. We, 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 we sex bodies. We assign all kinds of things to bodies. And um, But in the end, there is some sort of violence, I think, that happens. And so I think it's important to you know, certainly to, to analyze these structures, to figure mm. out what the, what the fiction, how the fictions are made up. Yeah. And again, I, I think there, there, there's a, you know, analyzing how film, and, and we can do this. We've got, you know, hundred years of film theory and analysis to sort mm. of go on, you know, here's mise-en-scene, here's cinematography, here's editing, here's, you know, here's these various uh, ways that 
films are constructed and people have gotten very good at these things. Um, so we can read those and we can understand how how these things work. And, and again, by doing that, I think we can understand the fiction of religion and religious mm. traditions and fiction of, of you know, like political structures, the fictions of, you know, everything else that we, we, we live our exactly. lives by, the, by these other fictions. So I think they're, again, I'm, I'm interested in sort of analytical tools. Yeah. I guess, uh, after all, being a radical social constructivist doesn't mean that, you know, well, if everything's social constructions, then you can study social constructions. You know, you still have to study something. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 And you, and we and we can't live without the constructions. I mean, schizophrenia is not a very pretty answer. Mm-hmm. Constructions are there. We need them. They, yeah, because chaos and schizophrenia really are not options yeah. for life. Well, and certainly not in the the sort of rigid structures of the academy, which is not agenda free. <laughs> um, right. Okay, we're you know we're getting towards the end, but I've got a couple more. And questions here. Um, one that I know a few people will want to jump in with is, well, if what we're studying is uh, meaning making and films as, as myth or ritual, you know, why do we need the sort of religion word at all in there? What, 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 what's the religion and film um, achieving? Why not meaning making and film? Um. I mean, I, I'm interested in religion, not for, I mean, meaning making is, is, is part of it. And I, I probably mm. use that term too often in, the, in, the, in some of the books, but I'm, I'm interested, you know, again, I'm interested in sort of the material, uh, sensual affect of, of, of the material world. So I'm interested in how they affect our bodies. Um, it's a great documentary that I show sometimes. It was made in the 1970s, just after The Exorcist was, was created. And uh, local news station in Los Angeles went around, and it was, you know, it was this massive success. Came out uh, the day, I think it was the day after Christmas in 70, I'm going to get this wrong, 72, 73 maybe. Mm. And people went by droves to see The Exorcist. And so they went in uh, lines three hours long in downtown Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. People were just lining up to see it. And these documentary crew went around and, and interviewed people. And people were coming out, streaming out of the theater. They were throwing up. They were, they were fainting. You know, all these, they'd never seen anything like The Exorcist before. It was just a radical new film and in terms of horror and what they saw. You know, the, the girl's head turning around and the talking and the devil's voice, which are just commonplace now. It's yeah. Not a, you know, but at the time it was people uh, fainted or they, they threw up and the documentary crews went after them and said, oh, you know, so are you, you're not going to see this now. And they said, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to go right back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just this, you know, fascinating sort of, the, why do we go back to see these horror films? You know, sort of, so this, is it meaning making? I'm, I'm not sure meaning is in that, is in that story. Maybe, you know, if you dug around, you could find it. But it's a, this, it's this visceral impact of this audiovisual spectacle, and it forced people's bodies to react in certain ways. So I'm, inter- I'm interested in that aspect of, of film as yeah. well. It's not, I think it bypasses me, and I'm interested in this kind of bodily interaction that yeah. occurs. So, yeah, without reifying religion, the term is associated with a whole variety of social phenomena, and that sort of cluster that is yeah. typically demarcated by religion intersects very well, as, as you show with um, what we know to be film. Yeah. Um, so just a, a quotation I pulled out, from, from your book was that films have, have left the movie theater. Um, and I immediately thought of, you know, well, you know, Star Wars was a film 
and you know it could have not been popular but now there are you know, well my, our colleague Beth Singler studies the Jedi as a new religious movement there are you know comic con people who you know order order their lives in a sense around that film so you know it doesn't even matter the film could no longer exist it could be white purged from memory but the the sort of impact that it's had would would live on in that sense so i thought that this would be a a good point to conclude the the interview with you know so films have left the movie theater film and religion research you know has it has it left the academy what's the what's the broader impact of this research and indeed you know of of films on religion and you know like what 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 have films brought and film and religion research brought and where do you see this this going again quite broad yeah i think the uh i think recent studies have been more and more interested in the audience reception of, of films getting away from the earlier focus on you know let's analyze the formal aspects of this film let's you know, find the Christ character in it, et cetera, et cetera. Now we, you know, want to look at the audience reception, which I think is is a, a, certainly a tricky thing. You know, what 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 does that mean? How do you create a, you know, exit polls in the theaters? And you know, some of that has been done. Some of it interesting. Some of it not uh, so much. But I think it's you know it's imperative. I, I'm interested in these longer narratives of things like Star Wars. Um, my 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 daughters. Um, you know, we're born decades after Star Wars came out. And my, but my, you know, my daughter had a Star Wars lunchbox before she ever saw any of the Star Wars movies. Mm. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. You know, it's not film is sort of somewhere, you know, somewhere in there, I guess. But the, there's yeah. not really much of a, a thing there. You know, there's not, not this tangible thing. It's again, it's sort of fictions all the way down. Um, but the uh, so I'm interested in that that ongoing life of of films and and you know part of it is to think about how that functions in a secular you know so-called secular uh, society uh, secular certainly in, in in scare quotes there um, what are people doing who've been disaffected by you know the church and the temple uh, when they sort of place so much meaning so much ritual so much of their life into uh, films. They're, you know, they're Star Wars based uh, bar mitzvahs. They're Star Wars based weddings. You mm. know, there's, there's these, they, they affect people. The, you know, the tourism industry of New Zealand shot up after Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. right? And, and lo- if you go to the New Zealand tourist board webpage, the front thing you see is this is hot. This is the land. Um, this is Middle Earth. Yeah. That's what it says. You know, I mean, this is the New Zealand official tourist agencies, you know, saying, never mind that it was a, novel written by a you know middle-aged british man who'd never been to new zealand in his life talking about a fictional sort of you know mm-hmm. mashup of myths now it's been transported into this actual place in new zealand and people go there they believe in the fiction you know they nobody says oh yeah the, the hobbits actually lived here mm. but that that we believe in these fictions so much that i want to travel to new zealand and see it for myself and it's happened with all kinds of uh, films along the way Mm. So I'm interested in that kind of, you know, what, what happens in our, you know, with this sort of secularized idea of things. Why do we steep, steep, keep coming back to these, you know, pilgrimages, rituals, myths? You know, I mean, they're, they're, maybe we can call them something different, but the, a lot of the phenomenological structures look pretty similar mm-hmm. you know, in them. So what, what's, what's going on with that? I'm, I'm just continuing to be curious about that. I think films, film's an interesting way to, to, to think about that um, 
um, and pop culture dimensions in, in general, you know, for a, for a, for secular, secularized people who say they don't want anything to do with religion, um, to see what they do that kind of looks a lot like what religions used to do or mm. <laughs> whatever we want to call religions. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to call things to a close there, but even just in the arc of that interview, both talking about religion and film and the, the, the sort of, um, history of that subfield or field and the difficulties that, um, you know, are now faced with, you know, the, the move from looking at films as text to films as audience participation. It, it tells quite nicely. It's a sort of story that's echoed throughout religious studies and the, and the, the methodological issues are analogous much in the same way as, uh, religion and film as you, as you have demonstrated. And I would just encourage folk to, do check out um, your work and look out for that new new edition. Uh, when are you? When you maybe mentioned? Uh, uh, it'll probably I'll finish it up probably in the next year. It'll be out in maybe early twenty seventeen. I'm guessing okay. something like that. Perfect. Well, we do get listeners, repeat listens, and <laughs> people encountering these podcasts all the time and being affected. So um, wonderful. Well, um, Esperant Plate, thanks very much. Great. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Well, thanks for that, Chris and uh, and Brent. That was um, good and and nice and critical. Absolutely. Um, you know, I jumped straight in with um, your questions. You know, that y- yourself and Jonathan Tuckett raised in your um, article on religion and video games. You know, like what does that and do? And um, you know, it sort of obfuscates a little bit, um, creating the notion that we're talking about you know two solid things which exist um, but you know it, it in itself is something that could be critiqued just as much as those categories indeed indeed uh the as we've pointed out before the religion and x market is uh, alive and well and healthy yeah the religious religious and studies project <laughs> uh, religion and podcasting we could exactly we could go down that route ourselves we're recording this um as the Triple SR conference is uh, is taking place. Yeah. And so if you're there, hello. And um, we will be hopefully bringing you a report from there in the not too distant future. Chris and I are just back from Lancaster University yesterday where we attended a meeting of the committee of the BASR, our um, glorious sponsors. Yes. Hail to our glorious leaders. Um, sponsors. Sorry. Sponsors. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and it was nice to meet some of the department there, and we had um, some good chats about, you know, um, Ninian Smart and his bow ties, and the, the the Smart Archive that they have at the library there at Lancaster. Indeed, and I know we've got some listeners at Lancaster, so hello to you. Hello. Um, next week, uh, well, actually, this week, we've got a response uh, to the podcast coming from Clement Green. Um, oh, our good friend. Yeah, our good Irish friend um, in Edinburgh. Um, so... We look forward to that. And then next week, uh, another good friend, George Ioannidis, um, speaking to Whitney Bauman on um, religion and planetary ethics. Um, I've had a listen to that, and it's awesome. They have a really nice chat. I have no idea what that means at all. So it will be enlightening for me. Absolutely. Um, is that another uh, another interview from the IEHR? It is. We're on a string of IEHR ones at the moment. Fantastic. Um, so uh, come back next week. To hear that podcast, come back on Thursday to read the response. If you're going to Amazon to buy books, shoes, um, small 
um, furry animals. Dried food goods, um, hygiene products, whatever. Use our um, links, please, our affiliate links. If you're in the UK and Canada or in America, you can contribute to the uh, podcast without having to do anything yourself. Um, as always, if you use us on iTunes, please leave a rating. It helps us get the word out. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Google Plus if you really must. And as always, Chris, thanks for listening.